This is Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. High Performance. Leadership. People think overwhelm, craziness, craziness. No time. No time. No fun. No fun. Just work, 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 work. It's time to slow down, to speed up. You owe more to yourself. This is Efficiency on Demand with Monique. Monique is a high-performance and leadership specialist. During the show, Monique and her guests will share the harsh truth behind their success stories, what it means to perform on a high level, and to be a leader in this world. It's time to take control of your time and live life limitless. This is Efficiency on Demand, and this is your host, Monique. Welcome back to another episode of Efficiency on Demand. You're here with your favorite host in yellow. And I never said that before, but well, I feel like that. Monique. And we have a fantastic guest out of, I should have looked it up, Singapore, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you got it. You got it. You're on the right track. <laughs> <laughs> and his name is Chasha Chin. I'm super excited. It's really interesting. I'm just going to mention that because it's super funny. It's happening more and more now. Actually, his super nice assistant reached out to me and wanted us to connect. And I'm like, I'm not booking through assistants. He can reach out to me himself. <laughs> so if you have an assistant and a booking specialist, they're reaching out to me. Tell them they should not because I'm actually talking to the people who want to come onto my show themselves because I'm working on energy and not with booking specialists. But I really appreciate all of you trying. So having said that, welcome to the show, Chashia. Thank you for being here and uh, for taking time for us today. Of course. My pleasure. Yeah, I, that's, uh, I respect that. That being said... That's going to continue. We're still going to do that. I think that's the, the best way you can do that at, at scale. But I'm, yeah, I'm definitely happy to be here. Uh, a good friend of mine, Steve, uh, Steve Tan, was on the, on the show and he had a good time. So I, I'm, I'm always on the, you know, on the lookout for good conversations to have. And yeah, my name is Joshua Chin. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Prince Agency. And it is a three-year business. I think it's about three and three years and two months now since we first started the business. We are an e-commerce marketing company agency that helps e-commerce brands scale profits with email, SMS, and chatbot marketing. We've worked with well over 200 brands from all around the world up to this point. On average, our clients' return on their investment with us is 35x, which is something that we're really proud of. And on average, we generate approximately 4.9 to 5 plus mil in monthly trackable email revenue for clients. So yeah, lots of experiences that we have gathered over the past three years of building a remote business that I would love to dig deeper into. Uh, so the team is fully remote. We have a team of uh, close to 70 full-timers today. And uh, we pretty much work from all around the world, primarily in Asia, where I'm based out of. And most of our clients are actually outside of Asia. And that's kind of where we find the most freedom to realize our mission. So yeah, that's kind of my quick summary background kind of a thing. 
Cool. Well, shout out to Steve. I loved him on the show. We, man, we were like talking, 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 and it was like awesome. He had such a amazing story. Um, you listened to the episode, I guess, right? I did, yeah. Yeah. Man, he was like <laughs> the amount of money he lost and came back and lost again and came back. And I'm like, yeah. Next time you lose some money, I'll give you my number. You can uh, lose it on that account if you want. <laughs> crazy, crazy. But he is such an amazing guy. So humble. So thanks, Steve, for introducing you basically to the podcast. So that's great. So before we get started, so you're based in Singapore. And how's the situation? Just for everyone to know, we it's August something, something in August today. So how's the situation right now in Singapore? It was uh, it was pretty it was pretty tough for uh, I think three months, approximately three months from I, I think it was uh, around February or March till May thereabouts. We were in complete lockdown, so we weren't allowed to go out of our homes. Uh, only takeout was available, deliveries. So. I guess on the bright side, that kind of forced me to zone in on things that I could control, which was my health, my fitness, my sleep, and obviously my business. And kind of recalibrating on a lot of the things that I could control. And then moving forward into post-lockdown, that was uh, what what we call circuit breaker, uh, a circuit breaker period, was when we could go outside and meet our friends, but only in groups, groups of fives which is what we have, what we have today. Uh, it still is kind of difficult because it still has a, quite, a, quite a number of limitations, uh, but it's nice to have that option to, when you want to go out and just take a walk and stuff like that and meet your friends, just have a drink, it's possible now. And having that option is something that I never really appreciated up to this point because I've always <laughs> kind of thought of myself as I don't really care for social life. I just want to, you know, do my thing and be really good at what I do. And social life is something that I kind of set aside as and when they come. But when it's taken away from me as an option, I feel just, I, I just feel so, so restrained. And I hate that sense of not, not having that freedom to decide to choose. And now I appreciate yeah. it so much more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Like I had this, I had this really interesting thought today when I was riding my motorcycle into the city. So I was a full-time traveler for six years and I traveled for 14 years now regularly throughout the year, a lot of times. So I've been to tons of countries and whatever. I lived in a lot of countries where my cross-cultural um, insights are coming from, from my leadership training, everything. So, you know, it's super interesting. Last September, I decided that I'm going to move to Thailand and I'm going to be here for all of the work that I do in social impact, social change with minorities and with refugees. And that it's going to be uh, more stable for me uh, to also grow my business, right? Mm -hmm. Now, that was my choice, as you just said, my choice and my freedom to stay here and not travel, right? And suddenly on this motorcycle, I was like, oh, it's a nice, you know, because we are out of lockdown, I think just like Singapore, since May 1st, 
and mm. it kind of feels like normal here. Like we do wear masks, but only if we go somewhere inside. We have our temperature measured, but they only tell yeah. you, oh, it's 35. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's like yeah. nothing changed. I'm still human. It's it's okay, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so sometimes you get that look because not so many foreigners are left here. So you are like, oh, mm. did you just came from somewhere else? I'm like, no, I'm living here. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> so I had this thing where I felt like, holy shit, I'm just realizing it was my choice not to travel, but not it's not my choice anymore to not travel. And I haven't grieved about not having this choice anymore. And I did so because we have this airport right in the city. So every time I drive with a motorcycle, the airplanes come right off and right down. And now there are barely airplanes. And I'm like, where are all these airplanes gone? Where are they? And I'm like, yeah, there are none. No one's flying. And I had this revelation. I'm like, my freedom of traveling, what am I going to do about that now? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's tough when you realize that it's that choice is taken away from you, even though you don't really need that immediately. It's just that option that kind of bugs bugs me a little bit. And I miss it, traveling. Like, I to be very honest, it's been a huge part of my identity. I mean, I'm right. 33. And since I'm 19 years old, I like travel was like one of the top, like, who are you? I'm like, I'm a traveler. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And now I'm like, I am a businesswoman who loves pineapples, yellow elephants. And I used to travel sometimes, (laughs) you know, like, what am I going to say? I guess, you know what I mean? And I had this revelation. And just because you mentioned this freedom being taken away, I'm like, I don't know what to do with that whole notion of like, am I craving it? Am I caring about it? Do I not care yet? Because when I want to travel, it's going to come back. Does it come back? I think it'll never be the same. Or maybe it would. It might just take time. (laughs) It would take time. (laughs) It would take time, I hope. But think honestly, just thinking about thinking about when it's actually possible to travel for leisure again, it could very well be end of next year when vaccines are like available for the masses. And in between, I guess traveling would be possible, but it's gonna be very restricted and with lots of rules and like regulations and and tests and stuff like that so yeah it's right i I think i shouldn't get into the vaccines things because no one ever is going to shoot shit like that into my body but (laughs) (laughs) oh man you're gonna love this uh this conversation with what's uh does this youtube channel by patrick bat david uh valutainment he had an interview with a I believe it was a it was a it was a documentary on vaccines that was banned in the United United States and a lot of countries just because of how controversial it was and, and how much it went against the conventional norm and knowledge about what vaccines are supposed to do. Really interesting. It was a 
heated, interesting debate. Uh, yeah, it's called Vaxxed, V-A-X-X-E-D. I have, uh, by the way, I have absolutely no um, opinion on this. I have not been educating myself at all. So let's not go into that too much. V-A-X-X-E-D? Yeah, that's the one. I'm not sure if I should say that right now. Maybe let me Google if I'm not wrong. Okay, tell me what was the what was the overall theme of that? So the interview, the interview with the producer of Vaxed, it was like a yeah, it was a virtual kind of a sit down interview with Pat, Patrick Bad David. It's a channel called Valuetainment on YouTube. Super interesting channel. It started out pretty much like a business based channel and I really enjoyed the content for a long time and then it kind of transitioned to something much more holistic about just critical discourse on critical topics and I, I love that it doesn't mean that I agree with a lot of things that that has been said but it's it it's good it's a uh, it opens is up that my mind the, uh, is that from 2016 from cover up to catastrophe that I'm not sure so I I have never uh yeah, I believe that's probably it. I have never watched the documentary, so mm -hmm. I'm not too sure about what exactly has been said. So it, it just says it's like an... Is it with Robert De Niro? Oh, no, Robert De Niro defends this one. So it's it's directed by Andrew Wakefield. And yeah, that's the, that's the one. Yeah, okay, so it's a documentary from 2016 and investigated into the CDC's destruction of a study linking autism to the MMR vaccine. Vaccine. Yeah, that's okay. the one, yeah. So, okay, the reason why I was a really... The name just... So, <laughs> this is super... Okay, let me, let me just see if I'm correct. This shit is wild. You seem to have a really uh, strong opinion on, on vaccines. I mean, I I couldn't, to be honest, I can't get, I am not bothered about what other people do with it, but I'm not going to have them in my body. Like, I am, it's funny, I do have vaccines. I got them for several trouble stuff, like things that, surely kill you and mm. interestingly enough i got different vaccines for like for example the yellow fever vaccine mm -hmm. i got to be able to travel to different countries right so mm. but i know there are vaccines that are definitely like for example i never ever and i mean that ever i even asked my parents ever ever had a flu vaccine and I never, ever had the flu, ever in my life. Interesting. And, and in, my, in my company where I worked, the last two companies in Germany, back in Germany, I worked in open offices with more than 100 people every time for more than over five years. Every winter season, the flu was making the rounds. And I promise you, I was one out of five people who would not get it. And they would sneeze in my face. They would like, you know, I mean, and I just, you know, because my immune system can build up itself. I don't have to, you know. And so my parents, they, they're pretty easy 
going with things like this, but they never, mm-hmm. they would never give us vaccines that are not a hundred percent necessary as in like, yeah. they were like flu shot. No, that's stupid. Yeah. Our kids eat well. We, we dress them properly for the weather and stuff like that, you know, so yeah. we don't need flu shot. So I guess I've always lived by that. And to be honest, I would never, if someone said like, Oh, uh, you need a vaccine for that and that and that, or you're going to kill my kids. I'm like, okay, not going to be around your kids, I guess. Because everything like hepatitis and all of these stuff, I have these vaccines, so I'm not going to kill someone with hepatitis. And I mean, oh God, I'm talking myself really into these things now. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. I I think I'm more on on the, like... I'm kind of on the, I don't know. I'm not having a super strong opinion about what other people should be doing. I couldn't care less. Do whatever you want to do. But if you come up to me and be like, you have to have this vaccine to be able to travel somewhere. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm not going to travel or I'm not going to travel into your country or I'm not going to travel on your conditions. Then I'm going to walk over the border. Like I've been traveling to 44 countries and half of them all overland, if not even more. Mm. There's, you know, it's like, I, it's not that I'm trying to kill people with something, but let's be honest, right? If we look into how Asian countries, Singapore, Taiwan, Vietnam, I mean, look at Vietnam, Thailand, how they handled this situation, like we can all we we as in hello western countries yeah we all look at these situations and be like oh what did they do to get this shit right and not thailand is right next to china i mean not bordering but right next we are one of the number one destinations for Chinese tourism, especially when this started was Chinese New Year and we had literally planes flying in. And at the airport, they said, we are very sorry, you have to go back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. Was it nice? No. Was it helpful? Maybe. Because it was in the middle of the outbreak of Wuhan and everything. So, I mean, Thailand was just like, Sorry. Yeah. And we we went into lockdown super early. And, you know, there are things I don't like how they handle it. But should I complain? No, I'm a guest here. And they do what they have to do. And again, for 73 million people, we only have three and a half thousand cases. And That's super impressive. Yeah. And then you can tell me. Yeah, and so here's the thing, right? We also build hospitals and stuff like that. Now, there's two there's two things. A lot of people say all all of these Asian countries, all and I mean that, like I see this online, all of these Asian countries have tweaked their numbers and lied about this because they're communists, they're whatever, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or your country is just treating it shit. That's why it's like Yeah. And I get it, like in Germany, they have like a lot of cases too, 
and they handle it way better in how they track and trace without without guns in their hands and whatever without <laughs> they have a better health care system because everyone is cared right. for without having to pay millions of dollars and there's a lot yeah. of things that come into play anyways having said all of that i believe that even though let's just say any country here would lie about their numbers even if it's 10 times as much it's still nothing you know what i mean Yeah, I, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, 3,000 cases for a country that's 73 million in population, that's, that's minuscule. And I think that uh, some very difficult decisions have been made that would be insane in the eyes of our Western counterparts, especially in Singapore. The, the decisions that was made took away a lot of what we view as freedom. Things like you have to stay at home. A super prolonged lockdown countrywide where there were, well, basically zero, zero complaints, zero riots and zero. Obviously, there's some form of uh, you know, political suppression and, and stuff like that that's happening historically, but it worked. It worked, and I think the outcome is that people are living, people are healthy, and we get to go back into to our normal lives a little bit quicker than what it would, you know, potentially could have took. But it comes with a lot of compromise, I, I feel. And a lot of that mm -hmm. compromise is what, you know, most people in the, I, I feel in a, in a, in a, in a standard democratic Uh, Western world would not be able to accept. And it's, it's really interesting to see what that transpires into as far as an outcome is concerned. Obviously, this is not going to apply universally where this way, like an autocratic, authoritarian type of ruling system is best. But I guess in this case, it worked out okay. It worked out fine. So, yeah, that's an interesting debate, an interesting conversation to have. Yeah, it's, I mean, what I see here and that I feel like is the biggest downside of all of this is how the economy has been hit and how people have been, especially obviously, you know, the the lower middle class and the lower classes, basically, they lost it all. And this is just, mm. this is just so painful to see, especially because we still don't have open borders. So there's no way for people to come in and change that. So the tourism industry is literally just, it's flat right. out nothing. Yeah. And they have to reinvent everything to, to domestic tourism, but it's not, it's not um, as easy as that sounds like, because this is not what it's been made for for all of this time you know it's not yeah it definitely isn't and i i believe wait i'm, I'm not sure if this is uh true but you can probably correct me on this that bangkok is the number one most visited city in the world by volume of tourists based on what i understand and yeah, replacing I think that 
Yeah. Yeah. But replacing that with domestic tourism from being number one in the world, man, that's going to be tough. And yeah. I, I just, you know, I'm not going to lie. I, I just cannot comprehend. I cannot understand how painful that must be for a, you know, literally overnight for so many businesses to, to just go out of business or just having to switch like 180 degrees completely in their business model. And a lot of these businesses are, are kind of like just small mom and pop type shops that may not have the, you know, the flexibility to make changes as quickly as they would like. And yeah, and I and think you know, these businesses sometimes are even better. Like they still run the small, uh, we call them Auntie Emma shops in Germany. Yeah, <laughs> so these yeah. type of these type of shops are more surviving here because usually local people would go and buy there and expats and you know the neighborhood is is going there and because they own the house where they have to shop so they don't have to really pay rent so yeah they kind of are able to support that and but you know like it was crazy to see as you said like these like huge hotels or just all of this entertainment stuff everything suddenly it was like it was like a ghost town here Mm. And and also just like you hear like every day something else in the news or or in Facebook wherever you go, this had to shut down. This is selling. This restaurant, your favorite restaurant, suddenly you know your favorite Thai restaurants, the Thai people. They're just we have to sell this, and you're like, no, no, not no. I thought you can make it. No, you know, like yeah. even crazy and you're like no just wait one more week like we we're gonna come all back and then there is no one to come back because it's just this was really that was hard um it's still yeah. hard yeah indeed yeah that's the you know that's that's the reality that we kind of live in and i think i've been very very blessed like me and my my team we're very blessed to be in a in one of the very, very few industries that are still operating as per normal and, you know, in some respects growing as an industry. So it's, I guess the responsibility is also kind of on us to have empathy, to kind of do what we can to support the, the, the bigger business community at large. And often that doesn't mean what I've re come to realize is that it does, doesn't necessarily mean supporting them financially. That, that definitely helps, you know, supporting local businesses a little bit more, but having the unique skill sets and knowledge about, you know, in the business world, we can definitely extend a helping hand through the skill sets that we have acquired in, in our however many years of experience in running a business. And I think that value add is a little bit more, more impactful to businesses that might be struggling or at the very least just being there and being available and asking, are you okay? Would you like to talk? And having that, that sense of community could really help tie things true. Yeah. So, yeah. How was that? And now let's get a little bit into your story. How was that when you started out 
uh, did you have a community around or were you literally just like, nope, I'm yeah. in my dorm room over here? Yeah, so yeah, Kronos, uh, my company was launched in a dorm room. And at the at the start, I I didn't exactly have a, a community per se. I did have a, I guess you could call it a community of people. Um, I was a... I was a part of a group of friends who were active, were actively pursuing uh, their their own their own entrepreneurial projects. I had a friend who was running a uh, a tuition at tech company. I was I was also in touch with a couple of founders that I was in close, basically daily contact with. I was an intern at the same time with a, a local startup. And that gave me a lot of exposure to what it's like to be building a business, the reality of it, the struggles, the challenges, and um, and most importantly, the ability to bounce ideas off one another, things that you can't necessarily share with people, <laughs> other people outside of that circle, because they might not be able to understand or uh, fully sympathize or empathize with you. I found that that was super valuable, uh, especially at the start. And that kind of kept me going, especially when times were really challenging and difficult. And at one point in time, I was actually near my breaking point. And I, I remember that was approximately around October of 2017. And my, my business was you know brand new at a point in time. It was about two months old. And I've landed my sixth client's in, in, in just two short months. But the problem was that I was also a full-time university student with a full-time internship. And I was waking up at 5 a.m. every day, working all the way till 11 p.m., just trying to keep up with everything. And I was, I was, I was, you know, I was doing all I can to kind of make things work uh, as, as much as possible. I won't lie, it was fun. And I, I loved the hustle. I, I still love the hustle. But it's not always the most healthy. And obviously, that was... You know, comp I was compromising a lot on relationships, on my personal life, my health, and all the different things that you probably set in the background when you are building a you know business like this. And uh, I was, you know, I was really working really, really hard to make this work as a full time career, so that when I graduated, I could you know embark on this full time. Uh, and I wanted a career where I could build not just you know, something that was going to make me money and give me a, an income, but also something more than that. So when, when I was a kid, I, I grew up in Malaysia, in Johor Bahru, basically a city right across the causeway from Singapore. And uh, when I was 10, my, about 10 years old, my parents declared bankruptcy and they divorced. So before the divorce, uh, my life was pretty simple. It was, you know, in a, I guess a middle... Looking back, back at it, it was like a low middle income type family. And in my mind, it was perfect. Uh, it was fun. After school, my sister and I would play by the toy store surrounding my parents' fruit shop at the mall. They were wholesaling fruits at that point in time. But the bankruptcy and divorce uh, basically left our family fractured at, at that point in time. It also forced a really difficult decision on me. Did I want to live with my mom? or my dad. And I had to literally make that choice as a, as a kid. 
And so I was living with my dad at that point in time. So I chose to stay with him because I hated change. Making a choice like that probably broke, you know, it broke my heart and probably broke my mom's heart. And it gave me a deep sense of, you know, the fragility and importance of relationships and how important they are in, in, a, you know, in, in life, you know, much more beyond just the financial aspects of, of things. So I, I would, you know, eventually steep my life in meaningful relationships that gave me you know, a sense of real meaning and purpose beyond just the financial security that I also wanted for my family. So next I went to university, I did a bunch of side hustles. I, you know, I, I did tutoring, private tutoring. I waited tables. I, I did some drop shipping. Uh, I did some, you know, arbitrage selling off eBay where I'm buying products on a discount on walmart.com, Home Depot, and selling them off on the full price on eBay, just making that small margin. Uh, and I enjoyed that. It was like my first taste of what it's like to make money online. And it was, but it was super transactional. And I hated that. I didn't have that sense of connection with anyone. So I took that experience. I was determined to find something that I, I, I truly enjoyed and not just something that made money. Because that was, you know, I, I knew that there's so many ways to make money online and that's, that's not it. So I took all the money that I had at point at, you know, when, when I was, uh, I think this was in early of 2017 and I reinvested all of that back into online courses and books about building businesses, building online businesses, uh, building an agency and all that stuff and digital marketing. And that's when I found out about e-commerce uh, email marketing. And I found a course in that and I loved it immediately. Like eBay, it had the immediacy of selling something and there was a quick feedback loop on how well I was doing. But I could also build relationships in a very meaningful way with, you know, on, on a one-on-one basis with clients. But also I could also, you know, help clients build meaningful relationships with their customers in the best way possible and not the spammy, the, the, you know, the spammy unethical way of, of doing things. Grand cadones, <laughs> let's say it. <laughs> like well rampant in uh, in in the internet marketing community and and yeah that's basically it so working from my dorm room i dove into learning everything i could within a few months i no, actually within a single month i convinced a few strangers to basically let me work on their email marketing for free and i was doing like free projects for a long time building up my skill set and portfolio and soon after I did a really good job, I, I gained two paying clients. And one of them was actually uh, Steve. Steve was actually one of my first few paying clients uh, back in 2017. And he was super impressed by the work that I did. Obviously, I put in lots of hours. And he, so him and his brother, they were obviously superstars in the e-commerce scene. He, he, he basically super sat me down brother. in his office. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The Super Ten Brothers. Uh, he sat me down uh, across, you know, a large desk in front of in front of them. Uh, I was just a kid. I, my palms are sweaty. I have a lump in my throat, and I was just, you know, just a kid with with very little experience. And I was telling him all about what I've learned and what I could do. And but I convinced them. I, I they became my first, you know, big major client. I poured myself into the work that, uh, that they gave me and won their confidence. Our relationship grew. They gave me more work. They referred me to other prominent players in, the, in their network. 
And that's how I got my first six substantial clients in the first couple of months with, you know, full-time internship, being a full-time student. And that's also how I got stretched up to my limits. So something really had to give. I needed more sleep and I needed a business partner. And that was when uh, I called up my childhood friend, Louis, to basically join in on this venture with me. And he became my COO. I knew that I didn't want any, anyone just suited for the position. I wanted it to be a meaningful relationship. And uh, with Lewis, I knew that that could be built. So we kept, basically, <laughs> kept at it for a, for a good one and a half years uh, together. And we hired a first employee. And by the time we graduated, basically about two years after that, we had a, a team of 30 with an additional office in, in Kuala Lumpur. And uh, yeah, so today I'm super grateful to have a business that I, I love and to be able to provide for my family. And my family has also been extended, obviously, with my partners, my clients, and even my competitors. I source joy from building meaningful relationships. And in my company, I, I love building you know, real relationships with people on my team and hopefully giving them a, a job and a culture that perhaps changes the course of their lives and hopefully they would treat jobs and work differently. And looking back, it's really tough, uh, lots of hustle. But what makes it all worthwhile is, you know, the fact that I was able to create a company where great relationships and great profits come hand in hand. And that's kind of my story. I love that. And um, that's awesome. So let's dive a little bit in there. Um, when did you actually move to Singapore then? That was in 2009, I believe, when I was 12 years old. 12, yeah, when I was 12 years you old. Moved, you moved with your dad? No, I moved alone. Fun? <laughs> yeah, fun. Just How walked across work? the border. Yeah. Okay. I, so, <laughs> no, it was, a, it was actually, uh, call, it, call it luck, call it serendipity, but it was um, a scholarship that I that i that i got from the government in the, the ministry of education in singapore to mm -hmm. study in a secondary school in singapore which is basically like a like a high school middle school high school yeah and yeah so i, I basically took the opportunity primarily because it was free and also i knew that the you know the education system in singapore is way better than what we have back home in uh in, in malaysia Mm -hmm. and my parents were like go ahead you know we would probably never be able to afford sending you to study privately in Singapore now that you have the financial blessing from the government in Singapore you should go ahead with with that and I, I guess that was a blessing in uh, not just from kind of like an education point of view but also from the the sheer amount of opportunities that I've gotten just by being here in a country mm -hmm. and being able to speak English, for example, just opened up, you know, so many more doors that I probably would not have being in Malaysia where English is a typically a secondary language. And yeah, it's, it's those things that you kind of look back on and you realize that, Oh yeah, that those were pivotal moments when I said yes to that one thing. 
And yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, but think about it. You were 12. And you don't think about it, oh, if I go to that school, then I learn English, then it's going to open me up to an international market later on when I'm like 20, you know, like uh, you're just like, yeah, oh, that's exactly. that's cool, you know, and it's free, yeah. so I'm going to go. <laughs> it, I, I mean, decision making at, at such a young age, I think, isn't that complex. It's kind of, it's quite binary by, you know, in, in, a, lot of, in a lot of ways. And like, yeah, I have to say, when, when people say, you know, uh, Josh, you've done pretty well for yourself, you, you're, you're young, it's your first business, and, and you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's profitable, it's, it's a success, I would say. But I, I honestly attribute a lot of that to, to luck in, uh, honestly, I don't, I don't know, I'm not a super spiritual person, but I, I do believe that a lot of it comes down to being lucky. But the no. prerequisite to being lucky no. is obviously being prepared. Right? There's no luck around. Well, I believe in luck. Really? What do you, yeah, what do you, what do you think uh, is that replacement of you know, that serendipity, like serendipity? So I believe that, so first of all, you had a choice, right? Even though you were 12 and you didn't really know where it gets you, but you had a choice, you could have said no. True. And so... If you would have said no, you weren't, you probably wouldn't be where you are today. So that is no, no, there's no luck. You didn't just get here by luck. You made this decision when you were 12. You didn't know about where it gets you, but you made this decision. Like, let's just, let's just not play it down. Yeah. So you made this decision and not every 12 year old, let's just say that changes countries and goes to a boarding school. It was a boarding school. Yeah. Yeah. It was basically and, a boarding school, a dorm, yeah. Yeah, and then learns another language and then and be like, yeah, I'm just, you know, like, even if you just said, like, well, it's free, that's a great reason when you're 12, you know, but, like, not many 12-year-olds do that. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, I mean, I would have done that too, but it's, I mean, it's, <laughs> there are special people doing that. Like, so, and so that's not luck. And the other thing where I believe there is no luck is because for for our lives, there's always, there, like, everything that happens for us is, there's one or the other way and we just choose the way, but there is no thing like lucky or unlucky. Like, even all of the trauma that I went through, I had to go through that not that it was fun, not that I chose it, not that I wanted it. And most of it was outside of my control. And some was so disturbingly traumatic. I don't even want to mention it. But today, that's going to sound really weird now. Anyways, today I'm grateful. Mm -hmm. And I'm thanking the person to be disturbingly, how am I going to say this without being insulting? (laughs) to be such a disturbing kind of person doing things mm. like this to me, I'm thanking them because the lesson was way more valuable mm-hmm. than that incident was painful. That's right. A, yeah. So I get that, yeah. But it's only possible if you can actually make it through the whole shit show, then the whole mud, then you can take 
piece of not a piece like a sip of air like you can breathe in and be like okay then you have to dive through that again you need to go to the darkness you need to bring some light and it's like a whole fucking shit show it took me like oh my god like more than a decade to be now here and be like thank you for raping me that was a great lesson you know because it uh, yeah not no, that i want to so not not downplaying how serious and how heavy that is what you just shared but uh it is relatively easier for us having experienced that trauma coming out of it to see the light of the end of the tunnel being in the light of the end of the tunnel to say that i needed that and i am a better person and i've grown right. so much more because of that but what would you say to someone who is in that phase who is still mm. in what would you say to monique in that one decade of healing yeah i would never say it's going to be all right it's going to be okay because then i would punch myself in the face that's such that's a big yeah that's such a big thing right like people yeah. often think that just you know being there and empathizing with someone means saying it's okay it's going to be okay but you don't know that yeah. right no first of all that's just a plain out fucking lie until it was now okay that took a fucking decade and that decade was not okay so don't tell me it's okay because you don't know you will never know and we've seen so many we've seen so many cases where it's not okay and they kill themselves so and if you're gonna if you are the person to be like oh it's gonna be okay you mm. may be the person that adds on to their i really need to kill myself and i'm mm. not saying you're it's your fault i'm saying you adding on to the heavy weight you know yeah and i tell you i had friends and i'm i'm making this duck marks marks, yeah. Yeah. these ones <laughs> Um, I had these friends, female, they mm. were saying to me, well, now that you reported it to the police, you can get over it. We don't have to talk anymore. It's all done, you know? And I'm like, mm. okay, sure. Yep. Sorry for making you uncomfortable mm. right. with me being around you i guess i don't know and so it was like well you reported that you can get over it now you can be okay again i'm like mm. thank you for nothing so it's like it's really disturbing so it's a great question that you asked what would i tell this person you know you know what i would tell this person me by this time is this Everything that you feel and that you experience and that you go through is valid. It's valid and no one ever can tell you anything else. And it probably fucking sucks. It sucks balls. And if you want to get through it, you can. And no one knows how long it's going to take, what it takes and whatever. And if you need someone to walk with you, I'm here. Mm. I didn't have anyone walking. Well, no, I'm lying. I had two phenomenal friends walking with me for a period of time. Mm -hmm. 
I'm going to be very honest since it's my podcast. I'm always honest. Yeah. If it wasn't for them, I don't, I had a lot of access to medication because I have a lot of chronic illnesses. So I could have just taken all of the morphine that I had because I had a lot of them for my, I had a spinal injury and the doctor raped me instead of treating mm. me for the spinal injury. I could have just taken the whole package and a lot of other things that made my heart be like, wait a second. So I could have, mm. I had a lot of excess. It would have been really easy, really easy to, to opt out. And I don't believe that this seemingly easy option to opt out of your life is easy. It's actually, this is, this sounds this is going to be sound a bit harsh, but it's you for yourself being a, I don't want to say it. It sounds so hard. It's you put your stuff on other people around you and you being a coward to yourself. Now I said it because you don't give yourself the chance to actually see how beautiful life can be without all of that. And when you actually made it and mm. don't get me wrong, I understand everything in the darkness and how dark it can be and how this feels and how depressing and whatever. And I personally do not believe in opting out of life myself. I understand when people do it. I would never, ever judge them for it. Although people would be like, you're such a hypocrite. You just said that's cowardice. Yes, that's what I believe for myself. Mm -hmm. I would never say that to anyone else and about anyone else who did that because I don't know their story. I don't know their life. I don't know anything. Yeah. I, for myself, would... I didn't do it because I, for myself, would believe I am a coward if I do it. Then I would put everything on my parents and my sister. And yeah. so, so I think that's a better explanation for myself. That's how I would feel about it. Not for anyone else. Hmm. That's, that's good. Uh, that's good advice. I think a lot of people don't really know how to be a good friend and be a good support. And I, I, I don't, I don't blame uh, them. I mean, I, I'm like that, right? I, I too, before being educated on these things, I, I don't know how to respond. I don't know how to react. And the most kind of natural default thing to say is don't worry. It's going to be okay. I'm here for you. But that's, that's not always the most helpful thing to say to hear yeah so yeah and you know what what i believe is we don't ask people hey what would you like me to say would you like advice do you want to hear that things are going to be okay do you want mm. me to lift you up or do you just want me to listen people don't ask what the other person needs and that's why they react with the thing that makes them the most comfortable the most comfortable for the one who has to listen to that is it's going to be right. okay 
no worries, it's all good. Yeah, but you have not been raped by your doctor right now. That's, yeah, that makes sense. Right? And so Asking I, why, yeah. Yeah, but and I, I, I try, I try, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm only human and I fuck up a lot too. I try to ask, hey, what would you like me to do for you right now? Listen, reflect, ask questions. Do you want me to be positive? Because let's be honest, like this, everything's going to be all right. That's like fake love and light bullshit that we throw at people, you know? Mm, yeah, that's a, that is, I, I don't, I generally kind of listen to just what people have to say and advice in general. And I try to think critically about it before saying, all oh, right, that's something I would do. But this is, some, this is actually helpful to me, at least personally, I, I think it's, it's helpful because it's, it's something that I don't often have the opportunity to talk about and have conversations around. And today I'm actually very blessed to have a, you know, community of entrepreneurs in, uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of the, 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 the peer to peer group called EO entrepreneurs organization. Mm -mm. So yeah, it's a, it's an amazing community of people amazing community of business entrepreneurs, founders, or second generation business owners. And uh, yeah, just people going through very similar paths and often with very deep, dark, difficult challenges that, that we just don't, that, that people just don't have the opportunity, opportunity to, go, to go elsewhere or they don't want to go elsewhere to deal with. And we practice in, in our uh, you know, little peer groups, what we call forums. Uh, we practice what we call the 5% the sharing. Uh, so every month uh, we meet up once with, uh, with our forums and we give personal updates. And the updates are, goes beyond obviously what I ate today and what I ate yesterday. It goes into the top 5% of, of joys and the, bottom 5% of the deepest struggles that we're facing in any given month. And I think that's super powerful because it gives us the green light to, to share and to talk about things that we have nowhere else to talk about without judgment. Mm. And I, I do think that, you know, a big part of being a successful entrepreneur is having a, a and if effective support system that is there for you that lifts you up doesn't judge you doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't necessarily mean that they must have you know superior experiences and technical prowess and knowledge it just means that they have to be there for you and be a listening ear and sounding board when uh, when 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 the time calls for it and that has been by far, at least in my really short time in business, what I found to be the most helpful. What would you say to people who don't have a network like that, how to find it for themselves? Start messaging random people on Facebook. I mean, that's what I did. <laughs> that's what I did. I, I think being proactive with it is definitely step one. A lot of people are 
very prone to just saying that I don't have the luxury of a, a network of people. I don't have the luxury of people who are supportive. I'm living in a this country with you know everyone around me doesn't uh, doesn't do business, doesn't do this. They have different ambitions. Those are excuses, I think, in a in a how in in such a globally connected environment that we are in today, more so now than ever, now that everybody is forced to be online, we literally have no choice and no excuse but to connect with people through the internet. And I think that's the most the, the most cost-effective and easiest way to connect with someone. Find someone that you really look up to, send them a message, follow up with them. Uh, and, you know, eventually you, 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 you will find a group of people that you really connect with that resonate with what you believe in at the start what i did at least i I could share my experience was to basically attend lots of events like pre-pandemic lots of events that were kind of geared towards what i wanted to achieve in in my life at that point in time uh, or at least in in, in a similar direction and a lot of that were kind of events with founders and ceos of small startups medium-sized startups bigger startups. And I just started having conversations with these people and I followed up with them through their social media emails and all that stuff and just stayed in contact for a little bit longer than they probably would like, but it helped me. Yeah. It basically gave me a, you know, a mini community that, that I was a part of that I could have conversations and rub ideas off and, you know, just that in and of itself, kept my mindset and frame of thinking in a very different way from most of my peers. Mm-hmm. Because when most of most people would be talking about how am I going to get into this university program or how am I going to get hired in McKinsey or Goldman Sachs or this and that, I'm thinking about what are the struggles that these people are facing as entrepreneurs and what does it take to become a successful one? What do I need to have? What do I have to kind of think about? What are books I have to read? And that frames the conversation that you have with yourself, which is, I find the most important because that self-talk will eventually shape, that it eventually shaped my reality. So that was my path. Not sure if that helped. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think would people do who are more either introverted or on the neuro neurodiverse my god what a word neurodiverse spectrum so basically who have some type of neurological how am i going to say this diverse diverse reactions and do you know what neurodiverse means i i'm actually not educated on that front Okay. Can you share more about that? Yeah. So, for example, there is a spectrum where, for example, autistic people are on, Asperger people are on, and they they are now under the umbrella as well as neurodiverse. But there is mm-hmm. neurodiverse, for example, I have some neurodiversity. I don't know how to say this word. I think it's neurodiversity, mm-hmm. which is like an sensory, hypersensor sensitivity. So okay. basically what it means is when I go to networking events, which is 
has been really fun in my 20s because I was able to somehow suppress all of this. I don't even know how. Probably all the medication helps. I don't know. But I'm mm. off almost all of my medication. And now this, what happens is this. I hear something and I don't know if you feel like my voice is super loud, but the reason why I'm screaming, some people say like, you're screaming. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> mm. is because everything else around me feels like 10 times louder. So I can hear every little, I can, I can hear the leaves moving in the wind. I can hear an aunt walking over my terrace. I can hear the bird, the squirrels right. eating. Like I can hear everything. So right. if I'm in a coffee shop, for example, I can hear all the conversations, not just the noise, I can hear the words they're saying. It's oh, really exhausting. Wow, okay. Yeah. That's really exhausting because I have five conversations and I want to focus on one. But focusing on this one conversation needs me to try to not listen to five others. Right. So networking events is a horror for me. I see. So... Right. Uh, but having conversations on Facebook, so you probably realized it takes a long time for me to answer messages <laughs> because I'm like, I'm sitting in front of this message. I'm like, okay, just write back and be you. And I'm writing, I'm like, that doesn't sound like you. So I delete it. And then two days later, oh shit, you wanted to reply to Joshua. Okay. So I go in, I'm like, okay, yeah, you, you know, you're like, what is it? And I'm like, wow, this sounds really demanding. Okay, so I delete it again. So this is how neurodiversity mm. can also play out. <laughs> right, okay. I see. That, that's super interesting. Well, I'm, I'm probably not too uh, familiar on the first person or even the second person uh, experience level with neurodiversity to kind of have a proper advice or like opinion on it. What I can say is learning preferences. I, I guess that to some degree it could be in tangent, right? What works for you in connecting with people may not be the best for someone else. For example, mm. I really enjoy one-on-one -on -one conversations. I, I do pretty well in group settings as well where we are in person but i process information ex extremely poorly in a written form so when i write mm -hmm. i don't write i don't write super well i, I can't exactly express my 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 thoughts on, on on paper as well as i could verbally which then means that having that understanding i would design my interactions as much as possible to be a verbal one because then i'm able to portray who I truly am in my most authentic self to the person that I care for. And obviously right now I have a lot more luxury in doing that and, you know, a, a lot more control over the conversations that I have. But at the beginning, there are always little opportunities and options that we can take and make, take full advantage of to really maximize what works best for us. For example, what I would do is, this is this sounds so dumb, but I actually did this. So I, I would actually record videos of myself, just, you know, setting a talk, like as an introduction message to someone that I've never met before in my life. 
and just talking through like what I wanted to say instead of typing it out and sending it to them via an email or a, a, a Facebook message. And that, that felt good to me because I felt that that is how I could be my most authentic self. And mm. it, it worked out fine. Obviously, there's going to be people who you know, are, are going to be mean. I haven't actually met a lot of people who are mean outright, right? Like maybe one or two. And that really doesn't matter. Good on and, you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's, uh, to, to some degree, it's, it's also knowing what to ignore, right? If they're mean, then, all right, that, that, that could probably mean that this person is not aligned with me and my values. And I, it, I guess it's the universe telling me to stay away from this person, right? And move on to the next one. And uh, yeah, that's what I did. And I, I realized that there are so many opportunities for you to design your own way of communicating and way of connecting with people that mm. it just is, yeah, that there really isn't any excuse to, to, to not being able to connect with people as long as you're persistent enough and often it's a numbers game and uh, being really, really uh, thick skinned about it. Oh, and being an, an introvert. You know what? I find that introverts... Again, generalization. I find that introverts are generally the best one-on-one connectors that are able to form much deeper relationships on a one-on-one basis than most extroverts are able to. That's a... I mean, just like I did, I meet you in the first minute, I tell you about sex trafficking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that case in point. You know, it's it's not... It's something that people often kind of overlook and don't realize just how powerful one-on-one connections can be and just how much more impactful they are than maybe a one-to-a-thousand type relationship that a typical extrovert, textbook extrovert would have. So know your advantages, know your being aware of what works best for you and know where you where your strengths lie and just leverage the shit out of them. Because mm. there are so many ways that you can customize your interactions in, in today's world, right? You want a video, you want to you know, meet someone face-to-face, you can do that. Do it in the video format. You prefer not meeting someone, do it in a, in a text. And, and yeah, being persistent with it, not being afraid of being rejected or being, uh, meeting mean people. <laughs> that's going ha- to happen. But uh, yeah, if, if, you're, if you're nice about it, I don't think anyone's going to... Like, for example, Monique. If someone reached out to you and, and said that I, I love your I love your podcast I love what you what you do and I, I love the impact you bring to your community I would love to connect with you and learn more about what you do Are you open to having a conversation with me for like twenty minutes Would you say no to that if someone was so nice Wow would you? you just put me on the spot <laughs> No no I I mean that's that's totally okay right If if you say no to it like why <laughs> Oh man. Wow. So I'm just going to pre-frame that. This conversation on this episode has everything from why I don't like vaccines to to that I personally believe I shouldn't kill myself or I'm a coward. And, And now that I wouldn't take conversations with nice people, I think... I think that's the last episode that people are going to listen to me. <laughs> so, okay, I tell you why. Ah, Monique. Ah, okay. 
I'm not trying anymore that people like me. So I'm, I'm going to just, okay, get over that one. So I, I, so here's the thing. I have said no to all of, can we just connect for 20 minutes? And I want to know more about what you do calls. Because when I did those, they all started out with, hi, my name is this. I do all of this. And after 20 minutes, I didn't say a thing and they sold me, tried to sell me everything. And I was like, this is really a waste of my time. Mm -hmm. So, and well, I just wrote a book about time and I don't have much of it. I died already when I was 19 of a cardiac arrest. And that showed me that only if I manage my energy and I do all of the things that I truly care about, am I going to get out of my life what I want? So I say no to these things and I send back, hey, you know what? I really love to hear what you do. Can you just send me voicemail? Because I do voicemails. I like them. Mm. And if, if they say no, then I know they just want to sell me on this fucking call. So why would mm -hmm. I even spend 20 minutes? But if they are actually interested, they're going to send me a voicemail. And then we're going to speak and I already know everything that I need to know. And then I can get on the call and we can get straight to whatever it is we want to speak about. So again, maybe I'm a little bit different and too efficient or whatever, but it's such a waste of my energy to get on these calls. I'm like, actually, you know what? So I have this great program. No, next. Let, let me tell you something. And I, I think I'm going to sound like a hypocrite here, but... Um... <laughs> I, I too don't like taking calls like that. And I, I, I hate, I hate taking kind of like, um, unplanned meetings without good, without good enough reason. And I, I'm trying to reduce my time spent in meetings on average. I spend about 24 hours per week on meetings. What and the I, fuck, Joshua, buy my book. No, wait, Give I, me I your address. I'll send it to you. This is horrendous. I know, I know. I knew that was coming. Man, I... I take a call for my parents. I'm sorry, mom and dad. I love you very much, but you know my booking link. <laughs> you, you, you send your parents a booking link? I mean... That is brutal. <laughs> I don't... Right, that's way worse I than what people I... People really I don't like me anymore. I actually, they don't have a booking link, but they, don't, they do need to make an appointment. I literally did, like... I'm talking myself really into people not liking me, huh? I don't, I don't think that matters as much at, at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, what was the point that it mattered before? <laughs> Where did I, I, don't, I don't think it ever did. I don't think it ever does. I don't think that's point of your, your podcast anyways. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, don't, I don't like um, <laughs> taking calls like out of red, like randomly as well. But I'm totally okay having conversations like that. And I typically respond when I get comp I like I get out of blue text saying, "Hey, I want to, you know, I enjoy your content. I like this, I like that. I like what you've built. Uh, can we, you know, I'm I'm a whatever student. And I'm learning this craft. I'd love to connect. I would always say yes and have the conversation. The reason being is it's because a lot of the the you know early mentors that I had were people that I've never met and never had a phone call with. They're just people that I followed uh, really closely on, on LinkedIn, on the stuff that they've done with their companies. And all I've had with them is just conversations over text, over LinkedIn, over Facebook, and that's it. 
And through that, I, I, I learned about the decisions that they made and what they have learned and what are the pitfalls that I should be you know, avoiding. And that was super, super impactful. So much more than what you know, a phone call could do for me. And that was enough. And I know that if that worked out for me, I hope that it worked for someone else that is similar to, to me in that position that could maybe benefit from that. And it still works for me till today. So that's what I would typically do. And if it turns out to be a good conversation, I would usually have a phone call. But obviously it's not, I don't get a lot of that. But that's a different, but that's a different ask than the one that you told me. Like if someone just says like, oh, I love your content. Do you want to have 20 minutes to connect? I say, no, you can just tell me what you want here. But if someone comes like, oh, I'm a student. I want to learn what you've done, whatever. I also take time to help them. Yeah. But it's a different ask. And I have a lot of people that I helped for free with their whatever it was because I yeah. knew they would not be able to afford uh, my service or whatever. And they, like, I just either like what they were doing or or just like, it's just, it is what it is. I help people. And so I do that specifically in my community here. But if someone comes and just be like, oh, I listen to this podcast, you know, and be a little bit flattering. And then I love your content. And like, do you want to connect for 20 minutes? But there's no intention or no reason for me to like, why would I connect with you? Then my first thought, honestly, out of experience is sales call. And I'm like, no. Mm. Tell me what you want here. So, you know. Yeah. That's a, that, that's actually super good advice because now people listening would be like, oh, okay, so I just have to specify that I'm not selling anything. I, I genuinely want to connect connect, uh, and so, send a voice message. And that's how, I gonna, that's how I can get Monique's attention. You know, it's super funny. I had people like this too. And then they sent me these connection questions and I sent, I answer and they send another one, I answer, and then they send their whole, join my course and my Facebook group and my everything. I'm like, okay, thanks, bye. No. It, like, no. Yeah. I tell you how I, okay, here's how I buy things for people who really want to know and sell me shit. Don't bother me. I know exactly what I want to buy and from whom I want to buy. I don't even have to go on a sales call to drop $10,000. I just know it. I see it. I know it. I want it. I pay and that's it. I've never been on a sales call with the person that I dropped $10,000 with ever. I didn't need to. Interesting. That's a, that's an interesting um, approach. I've, yeah, I've uh, taken quite a def- definitely a number of uh, sales calls in my time. <laughs> I, I, that's, that's pretty natural. When, whenever I make a, you know, big ticket purchase, usually around a, you know, anything above 10, 10 grand, that's when I would have meetings around making that decision, like m- multiple five figure uh, purchases and six figure purchases or like six figure hires. That's when we really sit down and have a conversation with my core team and my partner. And we'll always have a joint call with the person selling it. So that's really interesting. How how do you then decide whether or not the value is there for you or if it's something that you kind of intuitively know? What is that like? 
before I buy it or after I bought it? Like before, before you make that call, before you make that decision to. Well, here's the thing. I guess I just know what I really need, right? I'm not going for shiny objects because ain't nobody got time for that shit. They look mm. nice, but I don't got time. I literally, I don't have time for shiny objects. So I think one of the things that, here's the thing. I think a lot of people, they they may not know that about me and maybe they, it'll, it looks a little bit different because I'm traveling. It looks also fancy, you know, everything is yellow and elephants and woo. And so, but I live a quite simple life because I want it. Not, I could I could live differently, but I there is like why I personally don't need to. And here's the thing, and I think that comes from two different influences. I had all of the flashy shit back in Germany. I had the career. I was on top uh, very early. You know, um, I had it all. I moved around. I had the car. I had the days that 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 and my happiness level was the lowest ever when i had everything mm. i quite frankly was empty i was a shell i was fake happy i was like hey, hell yeah. i was mm. that was horrendous and so i would cut cut people cut bullshit got cut toxicity, cut materialistic shit. I sold the car, I sold everything. And suddenly I had a suitcase and was like, well, that is great. And I detached, completely detached. And the other thing is that, I mean, again, I died. <laughs> it sounds great now as a story, but this whole experience as a 19-year-old to leave your body, see you there, go through this whole tunnel, go into the white light, figuring out like, holy shit, I'm about to die and trying to fight your way back. Then you fight your way back, you wake up and you are being like, holy fuck, did I just die? Kind of like, this is the shortest version that I ever told. <laughs> and this had such a tremendous impact on what I actually value in my life. The biggest smile on my face is when I wake up and I see the sun and I'm like, oh my God, I made it to another day. The sun is shining. I'm like, fuck mm. yeah. Like seriously, I drive my motorcycle and when the sun is hitting my face, I'm like, <laughs> the sun. Yeah. It's, I cannot tell you the joy of being aware that I'm being alive because I know how being that feels like in so many different ways. And yeah. it's crazy how, if you can get to this point, how this changes your life. And so I think that is, yeah. So this is uh, so how do I make these decisions? I know it. I know what I want. I know how it should be delivered. I know how I, like I know the budget that I want to pay for it because I, I have a value for it. Mm -hmm. And then I usually either I have people in my network that I already know in this kind of sphere, you know, and then I just, yeah. I just go and be like, Hey, you have this product, right? Yes. Okay. Drop me your link and I buy it. And they're like, do you know any, Nope. I don't need information. I know. Or yeah. Or things like this, you know, like, yeah, I'm just, <laughs> 
pull the card and throw it at them. <laughs> Interesting. Mm. Interesting. So that's like a wild, a wild kind of a hit or miss kind of a thing with uh, with clients like you, when people want to sell you a program or like a course or or something. So they have to miss. really understand what you truly value. Yeah. And I uh, really go at that. Interesting. You know, the thing is also, here's the thing, right? If you are like me going out and buying stuff like that and you know what you really want and need, then you also need to understand your responsibility and making it work. Yeah. So I can't just go and be like, oh, boo-hoo-hoo-hoo, now that blueprint didn't work for me. Uh because I sat here and <laughs> and drank my mango peach iced tea and that did nothing for me. No, you have to you have to understand your responsibility in this place. So if you like obviously I think the you know the people that that do not know what they want and what they need and need to be a uh need to be taken by the hand into these yeah. programs, whatever. I think there are also those people who don't take much self-responsibility when it doesn't work. And mm. that's never a great way to live for me anyways, which is probably why the way that I started my business was in Vietnam. I got robbed. I got bankrupt. Like they emptied the shit out of my pockets and mm. I had no yeah <laughs> that was fun and I was in this country that I had a job with a person who was an absolute sociopath and racist and literally throw shit at people and I could choose like do I stay or do I go and um, I'm gonna get hit by something so yeah. I started a business at night I built it as fast as I could and just made the minimum that I needed to just literally survive. And I left the company, so I'm not going to get hit by coffee on the head. <laughs> and, um, and from there, I just went on. There was no way that someone could have sent me money or whatever because my credit cards were all blocked, all stolen, all everything. It, it was just so... Mm. Yeah, you know, it, like self-responsibility. It's like one of my number one favorite things to eat for breakfast. <laughs> nice. That's a healthy healthy breakfast. Good way to start the day. A good yeah. scoop of self-responsibility. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to to go into. But let's, we're a little bit over time. I hope my podcast editing team is not going to be really mad with me. I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> But it was an awesome conversation. I'm so like, although I'm not sure how many people are still listening after this episode, but um, I might just change my name and my face. <laughs> I, I love the conversation and it was, it was really, really good to, to speak with you. And I enjoy good conversations. And I think that's what life is all about, a series of conversations. <laughs> Thank you. I still have two more questions for you, so don't run. Um, yeah. I promised you to ask you something about efficiency. So here it is. Let's what do does it. efficiency mean to you? Efficiency is probably, I really never thought of 
defining it, but it, to, to me, it means getting what you want in the, in, in the most effective way that doesn't compromise on, uh, on relationships. So like getting what you want in the shortest amount of uh, time and effort without compromising on relationships. Nice. Yeah. And before we wrap it up, the last one is if you would have to push the reset button yep. and build up success again, which would be the three things that you would keep repeating to get back to success? Ooh, that's a good one. Number one, focus on building meaningful relationships. I think that has been my evaluator and like personally been conscious about it or not, that has always worked for me. And that's something I really, truly enjoy. Number two, think in systems and not in kind of individual tasks. I think that's been kind of nailed in, drilled into me from my experience in, in, my, in my previous internship and kind of studying what successful entrepreneurs do. Focus on thinking in, on, in systems and, and building systems instead of just doing things for the sake of doing things. And I guess lastly, if I could reset and uh, I would probably rethink the number of meetings I'm taking in, in any given week. It's probably... Uh, Let's do that. <laughs> this is so would, interesting. Yeah. It's the first thing that I usually address with clients. How many meetings do you have per week? Way too many. Great. Let's cut them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually did a kind of like a time, a time sheet, time tracker kind of a thing. And it was, yeah, it was one of the weeks like, oh no, it's 25.75 hours. 65% of my work, like a standard work week went to just meetings. I, I, I know that some of them are kind of like one-offs, but a lot of them are yeah, but I, I guess I'm I'm already taking like active steps to reduce those, uh, and I definitely need the time for myself for flow and creative work. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm working you on talk it. <laughs> about flow and creative work. Where can people find you, and what can they find there? Yeah, absolutely. So the best way to connect with me is probably on Facebook and LinkedIn. And just search my name, Joshua Chin. You probably see my face on there. And if you like our, if if you like to learn more about email marketing for e-commerce brands specifically, you can always check out our blog or our Facebook group. We put out tons of content out there. We don't have a course, so we have nothing to sell you. We only work with e-commerce brands uh, on a on a consulting basis or a done for you basis. So yeah, if you like to learn more about what we do and the secrets and the strategies that we are cooking up those are the places to consume those content. If not, Facebook and LinkedIn. Love it. And as always, it's going to be linked below in the show notes. So guys, if you still love me or if you still think it's worth listening, then don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you know when the next controversial episode's coming out with me talking about whatever it's coming up. And Joshua, thank you so much for being here. That was an amazing conversation that I did not expect to pop up. <laughs> Likewise. Likewise. It is, uh, yeah, it's definitely one of the, the most fun conversations I've had in a, in a while. 
So I appreciate that. Appreciate you. You've been listening to Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. We hope you've learned that you too can unlock your ultimate potential, how to control your time, create some clarity in your crazy life, and how to live life limitless. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please follow on Instagram at the Monique Lindner. We'll see you next time on Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Remember to slow down to speed up.